You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 127 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by Matthew Barton. Sixteen lectures entitled The Mission of the New Spirit Revelation, The Pivotal Nature of the Christ Event and Earth Evolution. This is Lecture 8, entitled Ossian and Fingal's Cave, address after a performance of Mendelssohn's The Hebrides Overture, given in Berlin on the 3rd of March, 1911. The music of this overture has carried us in spirit to the coast of Scotland, and in our souls we have embarked upon a journey in which the mysteries of karma played a great part during human evolution. From very different regions of the West, peoples once migrated to regions close to those to which this music has led us, and to those regions themselves where, as if drawn by karma, they settled and we hear of mysterious destinies. We can gather both from esoteric vision and from external historical documents what these peoples experienced on Scottish soil in long-gone antiquity. In 1772, when Fingal's Cave, the cave on the Isle of Staffa in the Hebrides, was rediscovered, it was like coming upon a memory of the mysterious destinies of those long-gone times a reawakening. People were reminded of the mysterious destinies of that ancient race when they saw how nature, as it seemed, had constructed something resembling a wondrous cathedral, countless tall pillars ranged in long regular rows, and over them arching a ceiling of the same stonework, and below the feet of those columns washed by the ocean's influx, continually surging and thundering, in this great edifice, water falling in countless drops from the stone formations, making a never-ending magical melodious music upon the stalagmite stumps below. Those who discovered the cave, or at least those who had a sense for the mysteries that had once unfolded there, were inevitably reminded of the famous hero of antiquity, who once upon a time governed human destinies with a strong hand, and whose deeds were sung by his son, blind Ossian, a kind of western Homer, a blind singer. If we recall the impression that the news made upon people at the time, we can understand why people throughout Europe were so struck when, in the 18th century, Macpherson brought these ancient songs to life again. They exerted an incomparable hold on the imagination. Goethe, Herder, Napoleon, and everyone else believed they were hearing something of the magic of ancient days. We have to realize that a world of culture still present to people at the time, a world of spirit rising in their hearts, was drawn toward the power of these ancient songs. What sounded forth from them? We need to look back to times corresponding to the early impulses of Christianity and the first few centuries afterward. What was happening then around the Hebrides, in Ireland, Scotland, in the old Erin, 
that encompassed all the neighboring isles between Ireland and Scotland and northern Scotland. We find here the core of those peoples of Celtic origin who best preserved ancient Atlantean clairvoyance in its full vitality. The others, those who had migrated eastward, had developed further and no longer felt a connection with the ancient gods. These peoples, immersed entirely in personality, in individuality, retained the capacities of ancient seership. They were guided, as it were, to these regions as by a special mission, encountered the forms of Fingal's cave that reflected their own musical inwardness, that seemed to have been formed architecturally entirely from the world of spirit itself, as I sought to describe just now in a few words. We imagine this in the right way if we conceive of the cave as a center that reflected what lived in the souls of these people whose karma had brought them here as to a temple built by the gods themselves. Here were prepared those who would later receive the Christ impulse with their full humanity. Here they underwent something most singular in preparation for that event. We can picture this if we consider that there was preserved here specifically the ancient institution by means of which clans were divided into small family-like groups. People related by blood felt they belonged together, while all others were seen as, in quotes, other, as belonging to a different group I. But over each of these groups there poured, as it were, the harmonizing influence of the Druid priests who had remained behind during the eastward migration of peoples from Atlantis. What these priests could give still lived in the Bardic tradition. But we can only properly conceive what worked through these bards if we recognize that the most elemental passions here coincided with the ancient power of vision of the world of spirit, and that those who led each group that battled sometimes furiously, passionately, and vigorously with other groups, had vision of impulses working out of the world of spirit which they directed into these battles. Nowadays we can no longer imagine such a union of physical contest and soul apprehension. When the hero raised his sword, he believed that an airy spirit was guiding him. And in this spirit he saw an ancestor who had himself once fought on this battlefield, had ascended to the skies, and was now his battle companion working from above. In their battle lines they felt their forefathers at work, their forefathers from both sides. They not only felt their presence, but by clairaudience also heard them. This was a wonderful thought that lived in these ancient peoples that heroes must fight on the field of battle, that their blood must run, but that after death they rose into the world of spirit and that their spirit would then reverberate onward as tone, resound through the air as spirit. And those who were familiar with battle but were primarily intent on hearkening to the voice of antiquity that resounded from the air, who, as they developed in this way, became blind for the physical world, no longer seeing the flashing of swords, growing blind to the physical plane. Such figures were greatly revered. And one of these was Ossian. 
and as the heroes brandished their swords, they knew that their deeds would continue to resound in the world of spirit, and that bards would come who would celebrate their deeds in song. In these peoples, all this was living vision. But this also gives us a quite different picture of humanity altogether. It gives us a vision of the human being as connected with spiritual power that resounds from the whole of nature. With such vision one cannot see a storm or lightning, cannot hear thunder or the raging of the sea, without intimating that spirits are present in all natural phenomena, and that these spirits are allied to souls of antiquity, to the souls of one's own ancestors. With such an outlook, nature has a quite different countenance. This is why there was such potency and significance in the songs that resounded once more, that previously lived only in oral tradition and were then reinvigorated by the Scott Macpherson, giving a sense of how people were connected with the souls of their ancestors and with all natural phenomena. Macpherson describes how a battle phalanx storms onward, driving darkness before it, like the spirits who enter the fray. Such things could indeed make a powerful impression on the culture of Europe, and the whole style of the poetic work, albeit rendered somewhat freely, awakens in us a sense of the perceptions that lived in those ancient peoples. A living wisdom was at work in them, a living knowledge of the connection between the world of spirits and the natural world within which the world of spirits is active. With this kind of wisdom, the best sons of the various clans, that is, those who maintain the closest connection with the spirits of antiquity, who were best able to embody the spirits of antiquity in their deeds, were chosen to form an elite band, and those who possessed the greatest clairvoyant powers were made leaders. The mission of this band or cohort was to defend the core of the Celtic peoples against surrounding clans. One of these leaders was the clairvoyant hero whose name has come down to us as Fingal. The old songs, as these were heard and drawn from the spiritual world, told of how this figure Fingal defended the ancient gods against those who sought to endanger them. The old songs of the bard Ossian, Fingal's son, living on as living tradition until the 16th or 17th century. The deeds Fingal performed and what Ossian heard once Fingal had risen into the realm of spirits, songs that were intended to drive on later generations to their great deeds, was something that still exerted a powerful effect in the 18th century. And we gain an idea of this when we hear how Ossian has his father Fingal's voice sing forth in these songs. In the passage I will read, the heroes are hard-pressed, they have almost been defeated, and now suddenly new life fills their ranks. Long quote. The king stood by the stone of Lubar. Thrice he reared his terrible voice. The deer started from the fountains of Cromla. The rocks shook on all their hills. Like the noise of a hundred mountain streams that burst and roar and foam like the clouds that gather to a tempest on the blue face of the sky. So met the sons of the desert round the terrible voice of Fingal. Pleasant was the voice of the king of Morven, 
to the warriors of his land. Often had he led them to battle, often returned with the spoils of the foe. Come to battle, said the king, ye children of echoing Selma. Come to the death of thousands. Komhal's son will see the fight. My sword shall wave on the hill the defense of my people in war. But never may you need it, warriors, while the son of Morni fights, the chief of mighty men. He shall lead my battle, that his fame may rise in song. O ye ghosts of heroes dead, ye riders of the storm of Cromla, receive my falling people with joy and bear them to your hills. And may the blast of Lena carry them over my seas, that they may come to my silent dreams and delight my soul in rest. Now like a dark and stormy cloud edged round with the red lightning of heaven, hying westward from the morning's gleam, the king of Selma removed. Terrible is the light of his armor. Two spears are in his hand. His gray hair falls on the wind. He often looks back on the war. Three bards attend the son of fame to bear his words to the chiefs. High on Cromla's side he sat, waving the lightning of his sword, and as he waved, we moved. Fingul at once arose in arms. Thrice he reared his dreadful voice. Cromla answered around. The sons of the desert stood still. They bent their blushing faces to earth, ashamed at the presence of the king. He came like a cloud of rain in the day of the sun when slow it rolls on the hill and fields expect the shower. Silence attends its slow progress aloft, but the tempest is soon to arise. Swaran beheld the terrible king of Morvan. He stopped in the midst of his course, dark he leaned on his spear, rolling his red eyes around. Silent and tall, Fingal like a beam from heaven, shone in the midst of his people. His heroes gather around him. He sends forth the voice of his power. Raise my standards on high, spread them on Lena's wind like the flames of an hundred hills. Let them sound on the winds of Erin, and remind us of the fight. Ye sons of the roaring streams that pour from a thousand hills, be near the king of Morven. Attend to the words of his power. Gaul, strongest arm of death, O Oscar of the future fights, Connell, son of the blue shields of Sora, Dermid of the dark brown hair, Ossian, king of many songs, be near your father's arm. We reared the sunbeam of battle, the standard of the king. Each hero exulted with joy as waving it flew on the wind. It was studded with gold above, as the blue wide shell of the nightly sky. Each hero has his standard too, and each his gloomy men. Close quote. Steiner again. Thus Fingal stormed into battle, thus he is described by his son Ossian. No wonder that this life, this awareness of a connection with the world of spirit which implants itself in the souls of these people, the souls of the ancient Celts, is the best preparation for the personal divine element to be disseminated later from those regions across the Western world. What they experienced in their own passionate way, what they heard resounding in melodies from the spiritual world, 
prepared them for the era when their descendants would later cleanse and purify those passions, bringing them to milder, more inward expression. We can say this, it seems to us as if Aaron's best sons again discerned the tones of their ancient bards, those who had once heard these songs resounding from the spiritual world as the deeds of their ancestors, but as if now in Aaron's best sons the old battle cries, the din of battle, had become configured and clarified into the word that must express humanity's greatest impulse. From the deeds of the ancient Celts, who had fought in such fierce battles in order to prepare themselves for further spiritual deeds, resounded a music that we can discern again in what the best sons of the Occident accomplished. These were the impulses that flowed then into the souls of people in the 18th century, when these ancient songs reappeared in new form. And this was brought to mind, too, in those who saw the wonderful cathedral that nature herself had built. Here, they said, karma created a place, a shrine, where the bards' songs of the deeds of their forefathers, of what their ancestors needed to do to steal their powers, echo back to them from the cathedral they themselves did not need to build, from the sacred temple built for them by the spirits of nature as a means of inspiration for all who saw it. In the same way the tones of this overture we have heard can allow us in our own way to sense something of the deep, mysterious contexts that do indeed hold sway in the history of those who preceded us and lived almost in exactly the same region where we now live. And since we must delve deeply into what lives within us and since what lives in us is only a further reverberation of what existed in antiquity, such intimation of what once existed and works on still in humanity is of great significance for esoteric life. The end of Lecture 8